Testing one, two, three. Testing one, two, three. Hey guys, welcome back to Storytime Slayer Podcast. I am your host, Haley Lira, and I'm really excited about today's episode. It has everything, deception, infidelity, BDSM, and consensual homicide. Have you ever heard of consensual homicide? Consensual homicide is when someone gives permission to be murdered, not assisted suicide. They give permission to actually be murdered. But before I get started, I just want to thank you so much for tuning into Storytime Slayer podcast. I love doing this true crime podcast. I love having a community of people to talk about all these crazy crimes too. Um, And with that being said, I want to announce that my merch store has officially launched. Um, I will have a link to the shop in my show notes as well as all over my social medias. There will be a giveaway posted this week too on both Facebook and Instagram. My merch is 100% original handmade tie-dyes. So please go grab you a tie-dye with some soul and hopefully it goes well and I'll have more soon. All right, let's get started. If you haven't already, go leave me a five-star review on Apple Podcast. Follow me on Facebook and Instagram and I have a YouTube channel as well. Everything is called Storytime Slayer, except for on Instagram, it's called Story underscore Time underscore Slayer. Okay, seriously, let's get started. So by all accounts, Sharon Lopetka was what society would coin a normal person. She was born September of 1961 and raised in an Orthodox Jewish family, one of four kids. I want to say all girls. I think she was an all-girl family. Her former classmates describe her as being as normal as you can get. And that is in quotes. In school, she had lots of friends. She played on the volleyball and hockey team. She sung in the school choir and served as a school nurse aide and library aide. Sharon graduated high school in 1979. Some reports say that Sharon got married right after high school, but my understanding is that she married a handsome construction worker named Victor in 1991, which is not right out of high school, more like 12 years later. So no one describes the couple as being overly smitten or like head over heels in love, but they did get along really well and they created a life in Hampstead, Maryland. See, Sharon's parents didn't approve, though, because Victor was a Gentile, and remember, they were Orthodox Jew. Some people speculate that the marriage was just a way for Sharon to escape her Orthodox Jewish family, finally. And if that's the case, it seemed to work because Sharon's family did disown her following her marriage to Victor. But nonetheless, life seemed all but good and normal for Sharon and Victor. However, what no one knew not even Victor, is that Sharon's new internet side hustle would open the door to some pretty dark places. So the couple wed in 1991, and in 1995, Sharon started an online advertisement website. The first thing she sold was home decorating guides. They were like $7 each, and it was kind of like an HGTV DIY type thing. And then for $50 a pop, she'd rewrite ads and post them to websites for people. And she even had spots on her websites for 1-900 numbers to advertise, all of which paid her for posting it onto her website. So she's really hustling this online advertisement thing to her advantage. And on top of that, she began running a couple psychic reading websites. And that's where things got a little bit messy. 
Um, she started trying to sell her underwear online. And then she began going by the online persona, Nancy Carlson. And Nancy Carlson was offering to distribute very graphic and violent pornographic VHS tapes, snuff films, you know, of women willing and unwillingly being assaulted, hypnotized, uh, raped. She charged $100 or more. But there's a lot of reports that people would give her bad reviews for never receiving their footage and stuff. I think that was more of a scam. Um, And if she did actually send it, no one's really sure of where she could have gotten the film material. So that was just the beginning. Sharon starts going balls deep into this online world of dark fetishes. She begins a lot of interesting online activity. And um, this is in no means a way to shame the BDS community. This is just a bizarre thing that happened to someone. So Sharon began developing an interest for what is known as fat fetishism. To be more specific, she was interested in what's called gainer and feeder culture, which is for people who find sexual pleasure in seeing someone else gain excessive amounts of weight or them themselves be fed until they gain excessive amounts of weight. So basically, Sharon had this fantasy of someone force feeding her to her goal weight of nearly 474 pounds. And this is a woman that weighed about 190 From there, Sharon began getting deeper and deeper into the BDSM online chat room communities. Within several months, she'd made over 50 posts under this name, Nancy. And sometimes she described herself as a 300-pound disciplinarian dominatrix online, but other times she described herself as a 121-pound blonde. Um, I want you to go look at pictures of Sharon on my Facebook and Instagram. I found a sketchy online source that says Sharon weighed 189 pounds and she was 5'10 with just a kind of chubby face. So it's 1996 and Sharon is balls deep surfing all sorts of fetish and BDSM websites and she even advertised to sell her used underwear like this is this is becoming a full-time lifestyle for her this like online world. So I got to admit it's a bit different but nothing overly concerning, right? Until Sharon starts outlining her ultimate fantasy. And her ultimate fantasy was that she wanted to be tortured to death and was looking for someone interested in in doing this for her. Even other members of the online BDSM community were alarmed with her fantasy. A few men had actually engaged in private conversation with her because, see, Sharon would go into the online chat rooms and she'd be you know, talking real nasty. And then she just slowly outlined what she wants. And what she wanted was to be tortured to death. And she would say, hey, I'm looking for someone who's interested in private correspondence. So they begin emailing privately outside of these chat rooms. And several men quit engaging in conversation with her after realizing that she wasn't just talking about these things. Like she legitimately wanted to be tortured to death. One of the men actually offered to exchange emails with her just out of pure concern for Sharon. And when they emailed Sharon and tried to talk to her about getting help for these fantasies, she shut them down quick. She did not want to hear it. She told the concerned person that she was not looking for help and she explained she wanted to completely surrender to her desires and back the hell up, right? Like, get out of here, dude. So... Anyone who's attempted online to shut her down, she's like, whatever, you're just not the right one and I'm going to keep searching. However, 
A man named Robert Glass had a fetish for torture and was interested in making Sharon's dream a reality when he saw her post in the online chat. Robert Glass was a 45-year-old computer analyst in North Carolina. He'd been married for about 15 years to a woman named Sherry, and together the couple had three children. They had two girls that were just 10 and 7, and a little boy who was about 6 when all this happened. And what happened to their happy family is that sometime in 1996, before Robert started talking to Sharon about torturing her to death, his wife, Sherry, I know it's confusing, stumbled upon his internet activity. Now, Sherry is described in a Washington Post article as a very polite and soft-spoken woman. She tried to always just do better. She wanted to go to church. She tried to become as educated as she could. She was conscious not to speak like a hick as much as possible. And she's also said to, quote, have an air of vulnerability, end quote. Sherry said in an interview that she ultimately left Robert because he wasn't attracted or interested in her at some point, and he'd always had a knack for computers, but then he became obsessed with computers, and he was on their internet all the time. So one night, she's like, okay, he's not attracted to me. He's on the computer all the time. I'm just going to see what he's doing. So Sherry looked through her husband Robert's computer, and she was super disturbed by what she found. She said Robert had never been abusive or aggressive, and she had no way of knowing that he was interested in the BDSM community at all. But in his emails, she found that he was going by the user handle Toyman and Slowhand, and he had dozens and dozens and dozens of email exchanges talking about graphic and disturbing sexual deviant fantasies. Sherry actually asked her husband about it. And she said the color completely drained from his face. He was just totally shocked that she even knew how to get on and look through his stuff on the computer. I guess he thought she was a real dum-dum. So she didn't say what his response was, but whatever happened, it led them to separate. And she said that she could feel that he didn't love her anymore. So it was what it was. She, she left him. So it's... Not long after that, that Sharon and Robert met in August or September of 1996 in the online chat room where Sharon was looking for someone to torture her to death. And Robert was more than willing and able to do the job. They had over 900 pages of email correspondence from when they met in August just to October 13th. Y'all, it was only six weeks. In six weeks, they had 900 pages of emailing. That is a lot of time spent on the computer emailing back and forth. Okay, so Sharon's friends and husband had no idea about any of this. Just like Robert, nobody had the faintest idea that either of them had these very dark violent fantasies but whatever Sharon and Robert meet online they talk for six weeks and then October 13th of 1996 Sharon told her husband Vince that she was going to take a trip to Georgia to meet some friends some acquaintances but when Vincent came home he found a note that Sharon left him and it basically said that she's not coming back not to look for her and if her body is never found not to worry because she was at peace 
Vincent was super disturbed by this letter and contacted police. Reports are very conflicting. Some say that he contacted police immediately, and some say he waited until October 20th, which is exactly a week later, to contact police. I understand either way. Like, they're adults. She left this weird note making it seem like maybe she was going through a hard time and needed space. They don't have children. She doesn't have an actual job to report to. I could totally see how like he could give her a week. So police do come though on October 20th and they comb through Sharon's extensive internet history where they read her six weeks worth of emails to Robert outlining the desire and plan for Robert to torture and kill Sharon. And y'all, this shocked everybody. Everybody who knew her was like, what the fuck? A close friend of Sharon said that Sharon was not the Sharon that she heard of online. And she wanted people to know that Sharon, she knew, was not crazy. She was always happy. Um, she was just a normal woman by all accounts. She didn't seem depressed or to be suffering from something. So I think people were surprised that she wanted to die just because she had such a positive, happy, normal demeanor and that they were just surprised she would do something like that because she didn't seem to be externally suffering from anything. So police did surveillance on Robert Glass's home in North Carolina for several days, starting like October 21st. And they were looking for any sign of Sharon or, you know, anything incriminating or suspicious going on at Robert's. Now, during their surveillance, they said Robert maintained his normal routine of going to work and they did not see Sharon nor any sign of activity I'm assuming no evidence of cleaning or concealing a crime so at this point everyone's like okay we're here but I don't even see her I don't see any sign of her and Robert is just maintaining his normal activity he's going to work he's coming home I I don't know what's going on here but on October 25th a judge granted a warrant for Robert's home and property they executed the warrant while Robert was at work but nonetheless they did in fact find items belonging to Sharon and they also found drug paraphernalia a bondage kit child pornography lots of random toys and trash in and outside of the mobile home but most interesting was a fresh mound of dirt about 75 feet from robert's home on his property and when police dug into the fresh dirt they found human parts about two and a half feet below the surface in fact they actually said they specifically hit her knee at about two and a half feet So when Sharon was completely uncovered and dug up, her hands and feet were still bound together and there was a rope left around her neck and she was naked. She had several marks across her neck and chest and a medical examiner determined her official cause of death was strangulation. Robert was arrested at work and he was booked for charges of murder and child pornography and held without bond buckle up here's what happened on october 13th sharon did load into her little honda civic and she made her way to baltimore pennsylvania train station she told her husband that she's going to go see acquaintances in georgia but she instead got on a morning train to charlotte north carolina and she arrived there at about nine in the evening Robert Glass picked her up from the train station and drove her to his remote mobile home 80 miles away from the big city. So that's like a two-hour drive. He lived in a rather rundown trailer. They said that there was four puppies that were just chewing on everything. There's trash and old shit outside. It was disheveled on the inside. We're talking dirty dishes, computer shit everywhere, like hard drives, floppy disks, you name it. 
by Robert's account, he was pretty upfront about what happened. He said it was day three when he accidentally killed Sharon. They'd been engaging in really rough sex for the last three days, and he was choking her with a rope during intercourse. He said he didn't realize how hard he'd been pulling it the last time because he accidentally killed her. He said it was an accident. They were engaging in rough, you know, what they liked to do, and he just pulled the rope too hard for too long. Y'all. Let me just tell you something. I looked this up and everywhere online gives you about two minutes for a person to lose consciousness and five to actually be dead. Five minutes is a long ass time to accidentally strangle somebody, especially during intercourse. Like how long are they doing it for? My goodness. So it was October 13th that Sharon went to Robert's and it was ultimately October 16th when she died. Robert Glass did plead guilty to voluntary manslaughter and sexual exploitation charges. Then he had federal charges for second-degree minor exploitation that ran consecutively to the first two convictions. So, yada yada. All in all, he got six years. He was charged in 2000, but he ended up dying of a heart attack in February of 2002, one month before he was going to be transferred to federal prison for the minor exploitation charges. This story is insane. Just truly insane. Sharon's husband and family have remained extremely private and they just straight up asked for privacy and for the public to respect that, which I totally do. I could not imagine something like this happening. Okay, guys, thank you so much for tuning in. Go check out that merch. Um, I'm really excited about it. I'm really excited for everybody's feedback. So anyway, I will talk to you next week. Bye.